1541, the naturalist Conrad Gesner made an extraordinary decision. I am resolved, he wrote to a friend, that as long as God grants me life, I will each year climb some mountains, or at least one, at the season when the flowers are in bloom, in order that I may examine these and provide noble exercise for my body at the same time as enjoyment for my soul. Gesner's decision was unusual for several reasons. In the short, uncertain, and uncomfortable lifespans of the time, most people did not seek extra toil. Climbing a mountain even once, let alone every year, was an unnecessary and profitless burden. Then there was the very fact of mountains. They were steep, nasty, cold, frightening, and potentially hazardous. They were also high, and height was anathema. What could one do with height? Nothing. One could not till its thin soil, one could trade only with difficulty over its rocky passes, one could hardly even invade one's own neighbour if height intervened. It was a worthless and obstructive thing. All these factors made Gesner's decision unusual. But what made it extraordinary was his decision to climb not just mountains, but Alps. The Alps were, and are, Europe's most majestic mountain range. Springing in the west from the Tender Pass above Nice, the main chain of summits ran in a 700-mile arc to the southwest of Vienna. Lesser offshoots poked southwards to the Adriatic and the Balkans, but it was the main chain, and especially the western part of the main chain, in the regions of Piedmont, Savoy and Switzerland, that first sprang to mind when anybody mentioned the Alps. Lying at the cultural crossroads of Europe, where French, German, and Italian influences met, the Western Alps should theoretically have been a vibrant cosmopolitan area. And to an extent they were. In the 6th century BC they had witnessed the brilliant Celtic culture of Latene. The Romans had marched over them, as had Hannibal and his Carthaginians. Since the 2nd century AD, Christian missionaries had proselytized in the valleys. Pilgrims from as far afield as Iceland had crossed the great St. Bernard Pass and other of the twenty-three major passes which led to Rome. For a brief period they were controlled by Saracen bandits. Every conceivable nationality had either passed over the Alps or settled below them. One region was proud of its Scandinavian heritage, another of its Prussian. One area venerated an Irish monk. In others, the places' names were clearly Arabic in origin. Neighbouring valleys spoke different languages, held different political allegiances, and embraced different religious beliefs. Yet for all this diversity, for all this coming and going, the Alps were a blank on the map. Apart from a few pockets of civilization such as Geneva, Bern, and other cities which prospered in the mountain's shadow, and apart from the well-trodden passes, which had once been well-maintained but since the fall of Rome had become increasingly ruinous, nobody cared about the rest. Scattered agricultural communities, inbred and disease-ridden, grazed livestock on the upper pastures, and that was all people knew or wanted to know about the place. The culprit, as usual, was height. The Alps were indeed tremendously high. 
Within the central range, which was in places 120 miles wide, there were hundreds of peaks higher than 10,000 feet, dozens higher than 13,000 feet, and one, Mont Blanc, which at 15,771 feet was the highest in Western Europe. So high were the mountains that they formed one of the continent's great climatic barriers, wringing the moisture from prevailing winds to divide Europe into cold, wet north and warm, dry south. They were rough as well as high, thrust up by the tectonic collision which welded Italy onto mainland Europe, they displayed the Earth's crust in all its rawness.